You know, the thing I like most about our podcasting studio is it looks a bit like the TARDIS when the Doctor's like pulling out all the wires and rewiring it. I feel a bit like we're in the TARDIS. Mm, it's quite pokey though, isn't it? Well, we, we could be just in like the one room in the TARDIS. Uh, oh, you mean the TARDIS has got more than just the control room? That's right. It has, it has a podcasting studio. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of the Oodcast. It's episode three and I'm Laura and over in front of me I've got the lovely Chris Alpha. Hello. With his fantastic eyebrows, the brilliant Chris Sigma. Yo. With his bristly chin. And to my right, I have Handy Andy Candy only from Dandy. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everyone. What's fantastic about me? Um, your uh, candy. Demi-rimmed don't glasses. <laughs> they're great, aren't they? They're yeah, green. they're pretty good. Laura this week is taking on the personality of an early Doctor Who companion. But Doctor, everything is so amazing. I like it. Thanks. Right, well, let's move uh, on to news. And Chris Alpha has been digging through the online forums and various news feeds to bring us some interesting nuggets of information. Yeah, I guess that's true. I haven't been digging very far. <laughs> um, Chris Alpha has been lazily looking at his computer screen when he can be bothered. I've been the surface with a trowel and thinking I need a cup of tea. <laughs> um, well, I think the first thing to say is probably that w- we kind of have a semi-not-confirmed, maybe-confirmed, well, not quite because I've taken it away, start date for the new series, which went up on the BBC programme information site and then came back down again fairly shortly afterwards, I think. But um, before it did... It said it would be on the, on Saturday the 3rd of April at 6.25pm. So really not very long to wait now. Easter Saturday, yeah. so we can eat chocolate and have Doctor Who. I've not had chocolate for about 11 years huh? properly. So. No way. Why? Do you get migraines if you have I it? I do, yeah. <gasps> oh, that so sucks. Do you have a substitute? A substitute? For chocolate. Oh, not someone else that comes in and eats it for me. Um, that would be yeah. a rubbish substitute. <laughs> that would be really rubbish. <laughs> but I hear that, that Carol's quite rubbish as well. Uh, no, I don't have a substitute. Other th- I, I just eat fruit. Mocklet? <laughs> uh, can we not make friends references? <laughs> okay. Did you know that um, you can make a kind of milk out of almonds? Yes. And rice. Yay! You well, can you can't make rice from almonds. You can make milk from it. You can milk anything with nipples. Anyway, news. <laughs> yes, the news is that The Sun were reporting that BBC Worldwide have signed a deal with Nintendo <gasps> to develop a Doctor Who game. <gasps> it appears that this would be for the Wii, mm-hmm. um, and it's said to feature Matt Smith as the Doctor, as well as enemies like the Cybermen, the Daleks, and the Silurians. But it's only in very early stages, so there's nothing really... Um, confirmed about any of it and the plan is apparently to get this released for Christmas 2010. Apparently when the Doctor jumps on the Cybermen they turn into coins which he can then collect to uh, upgrade his sonic screwdriver. 
I have never seen the Doctor jumping on a Cyberman, but then again, I am quite gauche in the world of who. Apparently, they've been trying to develop this thing for years, haven't they? But because it's yeah. Nintendo or Wii or whatever these things are, I'm not really into computer games. As you Chris, hide it well, Chris yeah. will <laughs> testify. The um, the they they were having trouble developing it because usually it involves fighting and punching yeah. and stuff. In fact, the uh, I was even organised enough to write down a quote from David Tennant about this. Ooh. He said that the video game was quite actively developed while he was the Doctor, but it's difficult to nail down as the Doctor doesn't blow things up. He's not Batman who goes around smacking people in the head, is what he said. The Doctor definitely does blow things up. He does. All the time. Or get someone else to blow up. Concepts, people's minds. I think I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that the best format for a Doctor Who game would be a point-and-click adventure in the vein of The Curse of Monkey Island, or Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, or Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max. Oh, There's I a barrage totally agree. of images that there. That would be fantastic. Not, not a text adventure. Not a text Basically. adventure. A po- oh, no. <laughs> like a BB, an old BBC computer. So I'm, sh- I'm sure that the makers of Wii and Nintendo, or whoever it is they're called, uh, are now listening to the podcast. And should you want to engage Chris Sigma's services, the email address is, as usual, oodcast at me.com. We need a jingle for that. We will get one. A fancy spangly jingle with bells and things. I just want to go back to the text idea again. You are outside the TARDIS. Where do you want to go? North. You can't go north. <laughs> south. You can't go south. East. You can't go east. West. You're dead. You fall into a bog and die. That's what text adventures were always like when I played them. One more thing before we move on. I guess it will involve waving around the remote like a Scott oh. sonic screwdriver. And it's got a blue light oh, on the yeah. remote anyway. So that'll be nice. I do you know it? this much. Yeah. Okay, awesome. cool. Very good. One last thing on the news is that BBC Radio 7 have announced they're going to be broadcasting quite a few more Doctor Who programmes in the next couple of months. And from the end of March, they'll be broadcasting Barry Lett's um, memoir of working on the series called Who and Me. Um, and then they're going to be broadcasting some of the target range of audiobooks. Um, all three will be read by Tom Baker, and they're going to be The Giant Robot, The Brain of Morbius, and The Creature from the Pit, which is one of my favourite target books. Of course, uh, for some excited. reason, I thought you said The Crouton from the Pit, which doesn't have the same <laughs> sense of terror. There was a story but called The Crotons. It was. Which maybe you should no see way. if you like if, if you like cro- croutons. Maybe I you do. Watch the croutons, especially with the, Gruyere. I think it's on YouTube. So the enemy, the enemy in the in the croutons was uh, bachelors, wasn't it? <laughs> really? Karen Gillan has just appeared in a photo shoot in Grazia and an accompanying interview, and in it she kind of disses Rose a little bit. No. <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. She did. Is well, this an RTD backlash um, agenda going on? Maybe I think I think Amy Pond is about to become my favourite ever <laughs> <laughs> companion. She basically gives a veiled reference to the fact that Amy doesn't follow the Doctor around like a lovesick puppy. Hooray! So oh, there yes. we go. So catfight. Do you know there is another companion who did do that? The one in the Green Death who just ran off after eating her apple. Just ran off to Wales. Here we have another example of Laura walking in on me watching a classic Who series, seeing about 10 seconds of it and then extrapolating the whole plot. And then they had some mushrooms which they'd spray painted red. Do you think that was maybe a sort of a forerunner to the Doctor Who game? Oh, Um, mushrooms. And there were were condoms (laughs) with fangs. Condoms with fangs. That's how they did the giant maggots. They had 
condoms and they blew them up large and put fangs on them. Now, remember, Laura's only seen 10 seconds of it, so... No, I haven't. I've seen loads of it. It's Barry Let's Stereotype Time. Welsh miners, Welsh hippies. He can do them all. He can characterise them all. John Pertwee <laughs> as a cleaning lady. That's my favourite scene in Doctor Who ever. <laughs> also, we have some Oodcast news. I've been geekily tracking our statistics and that sort of thing to see if anyone is actually listening. And it does seem that some people are listening to us, which is very nice. And we now have listeners in the United States, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Germany, in Peru, and two in China. That's wow. awesome. My strangely dulcet tones have been heard in China. That's right, yes. But only if it's been allowed by the government. Maybe yours is the voice they keep blocking out. <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. So to our listeners in China, a big sure, sure. Mm, very good. Another nice thing is that a, a number of our fellow podcasters, Doctor Who podcasters, have got in touch to say they're enjoying the new series. Adam from Staggering Stories got in touch to say he enjoyed the first episode of season two. And Radio Free Scaro put us on Follow Friday on Twitter, which is very nice too, which is, I think, a tacit pat on the back thank you very much cheers guys thank you for that sure sure <laughs> what's radio free scaro and they put us on something friday radio free not radio three ah. scaro it's not a radio station that, that plays was green beethoven's third symphony <laughs> followed by the Oodcast. <laughs> bbc radio three scaro scaro <laughs> Radio Free Scaro is one of the sort of really big Doctor Who podcasts. So we're broadcasting to Scaro now, as well as Peru and China and the States. I love your grasp on technology. It's brilliant. <laughs> I'll get the hang of we next. So what we thought would be fun this week is if we have a little look back at the series, not just the new series, but Doctor Who as a whole... And um, think about our favourite quotes, because the series is full of great writing, full of great characters, full of great moments. So we were thinking that we would come up with three or four quotes each from the last 46 years, 47 years of Doctor Who, and have a little bit of chat, a chat about them. Chris Alpha, do you want to kick off? Yes, uh, well, <clears throat> we said we'd come up with three each, and as I think at least... Two of us have bought two pages worth of them. We found it incredibly easy, obviously. My first one came, comes from the uh, the John Pertwee story, The Time Warrior. And, and it's said by the Doctor. And it's simply, A straight line may be the shortest distance between two points, but it is by no means the most interesting. Ooh. Ooh. Very nice. Do you yeah. want to talk about that? Is Take that, I, that I, Roman I, road builders. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely my kind of line. There's one that meanders. It's your kind of philosophy in life, isn't it, honey? Mm, I like meandering. I thought it nicely fitted in with uh, the timey-wimey. Timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. There we go. Yeah. yeah. It's not a linear progression. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of jazz. <laughs> I heard a lovely quote about jazz the other day. If you make a mistake once, it's a mistake. If you make it three times, it's jazz. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny, Chris knocked his drink of water over. No, it was, uh, unfortunately, it was our USB interface, <laughs> which is slightly more expensive. <laughs> um, I'll carry on, shall I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, anyway. why, do you, why do you like that quote, Chris? Uh, I just said, 
I think, because it fits yeah. in very nicely with the sort of the time-wimey stuff <sighs> and it, it just makes a lot of sense to me. I Second think. quote. Second quote is, is two lines from Mordrin Undead. So this is the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison. Um, and he's explaining something to Tegan and he says, well, there's a probability of anything. Statistically speaking, if you gave typewriters to a tree full of monkeys, they'd eventually produce the works of William Shakespeare. Of course, you and I both know that at the end of the millennium, they'd still be tapping out gibberish. And Tegan says, and you'd be tapping it out right alongside them. I only asked you a simple question. <laughs> nice. Oh, Tegan. Mm, Do I need that. to explain that? No, I, I love just... that one. That's so t- I miss Tegan. I think a lot of these can stand on their own unless someone has something specifically to talk about. Excellent. Okay. I'll carry on then. Um, my third one is from um, uh, The Evolution of the Daleks. Whoa. <laughs> wow. It, it might be a slightly surprising episode, but this, is, a, I think, is a genuinely good line. I think it sums up the Doctor, for me, what I think he should be, at least what I like to think he is. He says, um, Oh, Tallulah with three L's and an H, just you watch me. What do I need? Oh, I don't know. How about a great big genetic laboratory? Oh, look, I've got one. Laszlo, you just hold on. There have been... Too many deaths today. Way too many people have died. Brand new creatures and wise old men and age old enemies. And I tell you, I tell you right now, I am not having one more death. Yeah, we watched Evolution of the Daleks quite recently. I I made a conscious decision to go and watch all of the ten era episodes that in my mind I'd sort of written off as not quite as good. I found that I was watching a lot of Moffat and a lot of the really sort of the, the tentpole episodes. And we went back and watched some of the ones that perhaps on the first viewing I wasn't so sure about. And there's some real gold even in those. Once you're not, once you're free of that sort of, oh, is it going to be any good? And just enjoying it on its own terms. There's a lot of brilliance even in those episodes that perhaps... I might even go and watch Fear Her one day. I love Fear Her. I don't know why everyone <laughs> gives it such a bad time. Great story. I love that quote though, Chris, because that's that sums up the Tenth Doctor. That's why he goes back and saves everyone in in Life on Mars. No, Waters of Mars. <laughs> it is that I could do it again as DCI Gene Hunt if you like <laughs> to fit in with your theory. Um, my last quote is from Human Nature, which is one of my personal favourites, and this is this is John Smith, not the Doctor, John Smith. And he says, mankind doesn't need warfare and bloodshed to prove itself. Everyday life can provide honour and valour. Let's hope from now on this country can find its heroes in smaller places in most ordinary of deeds. Ooh. Which I think is just lovely. And, and, he saves little a, shivers. and then he saves a woman and her baby directly after that, doesn't he? From mm-hmm. a piano. With a, from a piano. With yeah. a cricket ball. <laughs> I do have one more that I want to mention, um, which is from a second doctor. Uh, because he's my favourite, and this demonstrates why he's my favourite, is from the Highlanders. Um, He's pretending to be a German doctor, um, and he says to somebody, do you suffer from headaches? And he says, no. So the doctor bashes his head on a table and says, do you suffer from headaches? (laughs) That sums up one of the many reasons why I like the second doctor. (laughs) So the doctor bashes this guy's head on the table? Yes. Wow. Violent doctor. (laughs) Troughton was always a bit kind of... Don't want to push him though, wasn't he? Yeah, the exactly doctor suddenly like m- he... morphed into Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah, I'd always, I've always felt that about the Second Doctor. Ah. Don't push that guy. Do you suffer from painfully enlarged testicles? <laughs> 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 what about you, Andrew? What are your favourite quotes? I've got four. My first one is from Blink, 
And uh, it's where the Doctor's trapped in 1969 and the Weeping Angels are sending people back in time. And what he's... So he's been sent back in time with Martha to 1969 and he's built this timey-wimey detector from an old cassette machine and um, bits and bobs that he's found lying around. And it detects disturbances in the time continuum. And he, he explains it to Billy. It's Billy, isn't it, the policeman? He explains its function by saying, it goes ding when there's stuff. And I just think it's a perfect kind of doctor can't explain how it works line. So he goes, it goes ding when there's stuff. And it's also Stephen Moffat, the writer, going, I don't know how it would work, but it goes ding when there's stuff. It, it's a bit like on the planet of of the dead when he's on the bus he's oh look the little dish is going around yes (laughs) um and my next quote is um oh i love tom baker's insults who's that in uh in robots of death no that wasn't the quote in robots of death uh tom baker is uh sort of um arrested and he's got this shouty guy who's um who's questioning him and pushing him around and the doctor goes you know This is Tom Baker's voice. You know, you're a classic example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth and the size of the brain. Yeah, take that guard. Yeah. (laughs) And then the the guard goes, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And the doctor goes, of course, he goes, would you like a jelly baby? People who don't like that last quote include Mick Jagger and Hermione Granger. Okay, next one is um, another Tom Baker from Robot. And everything's going all a bit pear-shaped and the world's about to face nuclear uh, Armageddon. And uh, the Doctor goes, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. (laughs) And that's so Doctor Who because you've no idea how he's going to solve it. But here's a man who can solve it. And you're just going to be carried along with him. He'll make everything fine. What a guy. I'm I'm quite glad you picked that that one because the one that most people pick from Robot, I think, is probably, you may be a Doctor, but I am the Doctor. (laughs) Which is great, but I think, yeah, I I like your one. Also very notable for Andrew's amazing Tom Baker voice. I hope we get more of that. (laughs) Don't we all love him? Um, I've only got one quote, partially because... I went to see Sister Act instead of looking through some old episodes. It was really good. Go see it, everybody. Um, But it's quite a long one, so I think it'll probably make up for it. It's from the episode Rose. So, um, yeah, the Doctor says to Rose, Do you know, like we were saying about the Earth revolving, it's like when you're a kid, the first time they tell you the world is turning and you just can't quite believe it because everything looks like it's standing still. I can feel it, the turn of the Earth. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. The entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me, clinging to the skin of this tiny little world. And if we let go, that's who I am. Now forget me, Rose Tyler. Go home. The two reasons I like that quote. One is because it really, really reminds me of the Monty Python universe song. Just remember that we're standing on a planet that's evolving, etc. Revolving at 900 miles an hour, etc. Which is different to the statistics that the Doctor uses. So who's right, eh? Hmm? Who's right? And the other reason is because... uh, Oh, Andrew, you cheeky devil. The other reason is because I still remember... The first time I realised that the sun would eventually expand into a red giant and all the various mountains of the earth would be melted down and uh, 
the earth would eventually perish in dust and fire. And I do remember thinking, good grief, somebody's been keeping that from me. <laughs> didn't matter that it was gazillions of years in the future. I was absolutely mortally offended that somebody had <laughs> neglected to tell me about the end of the earth and the distortion and flux of space. Um, Chris Sigma, have you got any favourite quotes? I have a few. Um, and when I looked through, I found that they're basically all Seventh Doctor quotes. Oh, of course they are. And they're always when he goes away, goes off and is a little bit of whimsy. That's when I really like it. So the two standouts, and I'm sure if I just just say the words Sylvester McCoy poetic rants, you'll know the two ones I'm speaking yeah. of already. But firstly, the last lines he says in the classic series, I guess. There are worlds out there where the sky is burning, where the seas are asleep and the rivers dream. People made of smoke and cities made of song. Somewhere there's danger, somewhere there's injustice, and somewhere else the tea is getting cold. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. Mm-hmm. Love it. Nice ending to the yeah, first, yeah. the classic series, that. And the other one, when asked what he hates. Mm. I can't stand burnt toast. I loathe bus stations, terrible places full of lost luggage and lost souls. And then there's unrequited love and tyranny and cruelty. We all have a world of our own terrors to face. I love that quote. Particularly love the way that he um, puts unrequited love with tyranny and... What was it? Tyranny and... Cruelty. Toast. Mm. And burnt toast. sorry. Where everything's, you know, relative. These are the things I hate. And there's also a little window into the fact that he's probably experienced unrequited love at some point which you don't expect from the doctor but you know he has emotions strangely enough there's another one as well that must be a it is a recurring theme in seventh doctor in the remembrance of the daleks when he comes face to face with davros over that crappy little tv in the basement of the school and he sort of starts ranting about his need for power and sort of lists all these things that he could get with power and one of them is unlimited rice pudding rice pudding yeah (laughs) So his wittiness transcends over into the new adventures. So I have a quote from one of the new adventures, which is Time Worm Genesis, which I believe is a Terence Dix book, but I can't say for sure. I never make stupid mistakes, only very, very clever ones. (laughs) And quickly, just I'm going to quickly use these ones too. Captain Jack is obviously brilliant when he's written by Stephen Moffat. The last time I was sentenced to death, I ordered four hypervodkas for my breakfast. All a bit of a blur after that. I woke up in bed with both of my executioners. Lovely couple. They stayed in touch. Can't say that about most executioners. <laughs> and finally, who looks at a screwdriver and thinks, oh, this could be a little bit more sonic. Never had any long, lonely nights. Never had any cabinets to put up. <laughs> and there's a bit later on it that where where the doctor sort of asks for a sit rep on the situation, and then Captain Jack goes, "Well, I've got a banana and a pinch. You could put up shelves." <laughs> and, then, and then he's about to get um, his, his spaceship's about to blow up, isn't it? And he goes, um, "Check for the escape modules." And his computer goes, "There are no escape modules." Did you check twice? <laughs> well, did you check under the sink? <laughs> so there we go. Lots of great quotes. I guess this is the point where we ask our listeners to send in their favourite quotes. There's various ways to contact us. The easiest one is oodcast at me.com, which is our email address. But you can also address 
things to at the Oodcast, all one word, all lowercase, on Twitter, and right on our Facebook wall, which is at www.facebook.com slash the Oodcast, all one word, all lowercase. Now, Chris Alpha had a really cute little um, boy a couple of years back. Nearly five, yes. Okay, so more than a couple of years back, and... um, He's managed to slowly brainwash his young son into <laughs> believing <laughs> believing that his connection with the doctor is something particularly tangible. No, I think I think what's more true to say is that he's a particularly good actor. Ah, yes, <laughs> that too. Every time he dresses up a bit like the doctor, he decides that he is the doctor. He's not just dressed as the doctor. So I thought I could relate occasionally one or two of the stories of his adventures as the doctor um, in in this segment Okay, so um, on Sunday mornings, usually I take Luke to church and he goes to Sunday school. And uh, one particular Sunday morning, he went dressed in a, a blue postman pat suit that he uses as his David Tennant doctor suit. Um, <laughs> with a pinstripe white shirt and a purple tie. Um, this is usually accompanied by a, a, a sonic screwdriver he got from a Doctor Who magazine and one of those toy pocket watches. Um, the fob watch thing. Yeah, the fob watch thing, um, which he keeps in his pocket. So um, generally he doesn't get them out while he's there because that's a bit rude and obviously as a as good parents we have taught him not to... wave to... sonic screwdrivers around during the morning prayers. Yes, there, there, are, uh, there are some Christians who are, are slightly more sensitive than others and if you start waving science fiction based toys at them they might be a bit offended. Um, the communion on... wine might, might yeah. heat up and... <laughs> The on this bread particular case, in a funny way. <laughs> on this particular Sunday morning, they were all out learning songs in their little group, and they all came trooping in at the end. They all got arranged very neatly at the front. Uh, that makes it sound like they're flowers, but they all stood very nicely at the front in nice rows. And uh, Luke was at the end, dressed as the Doctor with his glasses on. He has those. He has plastic David Tennant glasses. Brainy no... specs. Yes. Um, he had those on, he had his sonic screwdriver in one hand, I could see the chain of his fob watch going into his pocket. And uh, while everyone else was singing, he was resolutely ignoring them and waving his screwdriver at things. Um, but then somebody caught his attention and he dropped the screwdriver and started watching what they were doing. Um, he didn't notice that the, um, the helper behind him had picked up the screwdriver and had put it on the table behind them. So for the rest of the song, I was treated to... My four-year-old doctor, rooting around in his pants, <laughs> looking for his sonic screwdriver. Why he thought they were there, and if they were, if it was there, why he couldn't feel it there, is a mystery. <laughs> but yes, so <laughs> um, that particular day, he was um, combating aliens very nicely, but only if they were in the toilet. Hello, I'm the doctor! Now, any listeners who listened to our first series would have heard, um, as we were discussing the finale, there was a big, big debate 
over the Vinvoci generator, nuclear generator, and how much of an obvious set, uh, sort of plot device that was. And um, we had a bit of a think here at the Oodcast, and we've come up with a short scene that, for us, recreates how we think the discussions between the Vinvoci engineers would have gone immediately preceding the episode. Tertiary cycle engineer. And to you, ma'am. So, uh, what are we doing today? Good question, engineer. Um, oh, en- uh, engineer Seltz, ma'am. I've just transferred from the academy. First day in the construction corps. Very excited about serving the Vinvocci Empire any way I can, ma'am. Yes, well, uh, nice. Now, my name is Master Builder Paz, and I have been entrusted with a rather special assignment. The construction of a prototype device that could potentially revolutionise our society. Wow! And you want me to help? Your reputation precedes you, Engineer Seltz. Student prime of your graduating year results in the top demi-percentile in every metric we have available. Very impressive. Thank you, Mom. Very impressive indeed. And you'll need every last atom of that engineering know-how to complete this new assignment. What are we building, Master Builder Paz? It's a medical gateway. A glorious Vimbocci innovation capable of healing an entire planet in a matter of seconds. Here, let me show you the blueprints. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see. It's like a Tula ambulance. Excuse me? It's exactly like a Tula ambulance, isn't it? It can repair organic matter to conform to a standardised medical template. Yes, but the technology isn't nanogene-based. It uses lasers or energy beams or something. It's way better. Understood, ma'am, but it's still the same basic concept, isn't it? A medical machine that can potentially, if you'll pardon the impudence, be used to broadcast a corrupt template to a large number of innocent people. Nanogenes or energy beams, it's basically the exact same thing. Why are you so bothered about the similarity to Tula technology anyway? No reason, really. I just think it's a little... Well... Yes? Unoriginal? You overstep your boundaries, Engineer Seltz. How dare you insult Vinvochi technological superiority in this way? Sorry, Mom. I don't know what I was thinking. Won't happen again. Now, let us turn our attention to the energy source. That's a nuclear bolt, isn't it? Very good, Engineer. What do you think of our ambition in this regard? Well, it makes sense, I guess, considering the amount of power you'd need to transmit the template on a planetary scale, but a nuclear bolt needs constant monitoring. You'd need a technician on hand 57 hours a day. Exactly. And that's why we've implemented this twin booth design. One technician can only be relieved of duty if another technician enters the opposing booth and releases him. Thus, the design guarantees sustained monitoring. So the controls to open each respective door are only found in the opposing booth? Correct. 
And you've implemented absolutely zero safety measures in case of critical events or a catastrophic meltdown. You know, a backup emergency release or secondary escape hatch? Absolutely nothing. In the event of excess radiation build-up, the radiation will be vented into the booths themselves, where our amazing Vinvochi glass will contain it indefinitely. I assume it vents into the empty booth, though, right? Out of the two booths, one has a technician in it and the other one's empty, so it picks the empty one, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> That's a relief. Unless the nuclear bolt goes into overload, and then it vents into both booths simultaneously. But surely the only time there would be a significant build-up of excess radiation would be during a critical overload. I mean, that's literally the only time that that would happen. I suppose, technically. So your only safety procedure is to vent all the radiation into the occupied booth? Yes. A booth which you've ensured is never empty and whose occupant is locked in and totally unable to escape. That's about the size of it. Couldn't we just build a third booth that's never occupied to vent the radiation into? No, 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 that's too expensive. Vinvoti glass doesn't come cheap. It can insulate you against up to five million rads of excess radiation, you know. Not much of a comfort to the poor sod locked in the cosmic microwave, is it? Also, I forgot to mention, in the event of an overload, all controls automatically flood the booths. What, even the door controls? Yes. The energy containment stabilisers? Yes, everything activates the flooding. How about someone operating a device nearby, like a mobile communicator or... Some sort of sonic device. Total Flood City, I'm afraid. It's a little quirk we built in for safety. I'm not sure of the exact details. Mm, brilliant. So what do you think? Well, to be honest, Mum, I think it's a death trap. An absolute travesty of engineering. It seems almost willfully constructed to eventually force someone to choose between his own life and that of a colleague in the most convoluted manner possible. Good, good. That's just what we were going for. We'll start construction immediately. No time like the present. Yes, Mom. So there we go. Very interesting. I think there's nothing really more to say this episode than to say thank you very much for listening to us for another half hour plus, And we hope we'll see you again next week. Cheerio. Bye. Bye-bye. Tittle pip. <laughs> I'm a fan of the 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 fan of the